Hello and welcome to On Wednesdays We Wear Black with me, Sophie Kay and Yasmin Sumer. Hello, hi, how are we all doing today? I am so excited for you to hear this interview, Yasmin, because oh, um, today's episode, if you don't know, is an interview with Skylar Accord from Issues. Now, anybody who was anybody in the 2010s and was listening to music knew who issues were oh my god yeah if you if you had a tumblr or you liked warp tour bands babe you were an issues girly you were an issues girly issues is like such a great band um and so unfortunately you weren't able to make it out yasmin because you were watching spirit box and architects out in amsterdam so i flew didn't get out. an interview with them but if courtney laplan ever wants to come on the podcast hello 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 Um, (laughs) I flew out to Atlanta for just two days um, and I didn't sleep for two days and I got to chat to issues I got to be at the show their final ever gig it was amazing Yasmin the gig was I don't know how to explain it it was emotional it was nostalgic it was just an amazing night yeah, I can imagine. I mean, like, oh my god, I wish I was there. I wish. I know. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I know. I know. I wish I was there. I fucking love issues. Like, hello. I needed. I needed to hear "Mad at Myself" live, but I didn't. But it's okay. It's okay. I was spiriting my box. I was spiriting my box. Well, either way, Sky Record had stories. So god, did he spill the tea? He spilled the tea. Oh! Here's what happened when I flew out to Atlanta. To chat to Sky Record from Issues. Oh my god. So I'm here with Sky for the podcast on Wednesdays We Wear Black. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Big time. Do you know what? Thank you for coming on it because I think this is something that's going to resonate with a lot of our audience. Because, first of all, let's talk about what happened last night and what's been going on recently you've had your final shows yeah last issue shows ever um our uh our not going quietly into the good night i guess <laughs> it was uh definitely like a f- crazy a bunch of crazy full circle moments you know just the, uh looking out into the crowd and probably like a third of the faces i saw i recognized from one show or another over the last 12 years and it was just like it was a fever dream in a really good way. <laughs> so you remember people from shows? Oh, yeah. I mean, not everybody, obviously, because I meet so many people. Some people I meet in passing or whatever. But, you know, over the years, um, especially if you're out there meeting people, like that was kind of like my job. Like, I, and I, I like doing it. Um, you get to know like certain cities by who shows up. Mm. It's like you start segmenting tours by like, okay, like this friend's going to come out here, this friend's going to come out here. And you understand a little bit about the culture of at least concert goers, goers in each place. Like Texans love to drive to all the Texas shows. Same with like, uh, you know, people in the Northeast. It's like barely any distance from one show to the next. So you see the same people like a week straight. So yeah, wow. you end up getting to know people. It was so beautiful and there was such an energy of love at the shows. And if you watched it at home, then you will have seen that. If you didn't, make sure you catch some of the clips because it was a really powerful, beautiful show. But I think we have to go back to look at why it was so powerful. So 
You guys released your first EP in 2012? Yeah, yes, yes, as I'm counting. (laughs) (laughs) That was such a huge thing for the scene. Like, it it hit the scene hard. Do you know what? When I look back, has anyone said to you, why it hit the scene so hard. Have you thought about like, there was something so magical about that? Hmm. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Yeah. Um, and looking back, I realize that, man, I, I grew up in Seattle and people were, are always, even still like a generation or two behind in the scene. Um, and people were still writing like as I lay dying, kind of like rip off riffs like Gothenburg, you know, whatever. There was so much of that. And then uh, going down to L.A., there was a lot of beat down, um, which was like kind of ahead of the curve. You know, like uh, Brits will probably know Black Tongue. Um, and then where we were like a memorial brooded was Ty's band. So it was a lot of like really heavy, hardcore stuff. Um and that felt like the next wave, like Acacia Strainy type of stuff, because nothing had really popped. And looking back at it now, um, it's almost like the EP was an act of rebellion to where um, it's like, okay, so we want to write the heaviest thing we can possibly do. Uh, but also Tyler is an insane singer, so let's utilize him as much as possible. Then also he has all these songs, these solo songs that aren't he's not gonna like record or whatever. So it's like you have all of these really good elements that never would I don't know, it's like you make a gumbo, right? It's mm-hmm. like this is this is just what you have. So you stick it all together and see tries to just see what happens and make it work. And then you get something like that doesn't make any sense on paper, but like is genuinely new, you know? And I mean, I can't take too much credit for that. Honestly, that that was my brother, a scout. Like people don't give him enough credit, but the whole vision of the band was totally his idea. And he just like was there, and then he brought me in. <laughs> yeah, you speak about that on TikTok. Mm-hmm. You speak about Scout and how he needs to be paid his due. His he's paid. He needs to be paid his flowers mm-hmm. because he. I mean, it is genius because at the time when you think about it, a lot of the listeners right now might even be too young. Mm-hmm. to have known what the scene was like at that time. But it, it was very divided. You had the metal, you had the kind of younger music, which was a lot more poppy. But to put pop into metal was like a huge act of rebellion. And then adding an R&B vibe to it mm-hmm. with such heavy music. And so then you ended up getting covered by outlets that are metal outlets, which pissed people off did you get that a lot of like uh pushback from the old school metalheads oh yeah the gatekeepers did not like us i kind of loved it um and i realize now you know you need a little bit of hate to like kind of like drive controversy Mm. so now i'm like looking back at it i was like the haters make me famous baby um (laughs) yeah right yeah and i remember we were like really at the beginning in fact we might have been like one of the first uh, bands to kind of like like play with the new metal revival mm. like in the scene you know the other there were other bands doing it in a more like grungy way like I think My Ticket Home was like really inspiring to us like oh they're doing like a new metal thing but uh, we didn't really set out to do that we just wanted to and again this is Ty Lofile Scout so many names <laughs> um, anyways his sort of formula was like let's mix Gent um, which was very new at the time yep. uh, melodic hardcore you know, like Ghost Inside type stuff, Gideon, whose shirt I'm wearing right now, um, 
and R&B and just see what happens. And then, you know, the, the beat down just kind of came out because that was Ty's band at the time. Mm-hmm. And when you mix all those things together, what you get is a groovy one string riff with pop vocals, which sounds like new metal. Yeah. We never put that together actually until like we went to the UK and, you know, you started calling us new metal and where I'm like, I love new metal. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> and what was weird is that at the time it was nice because a lot of us loved new metal, but new metal was going through this weird phase where it was kind of uncool. Oh, like, very much. Yeah. To see now the fact that Limp Biscuit are a cool band, whereas for a long time they were like, they had their high and then they were just seen as almost like a, um, a joke in many ways. Right. Yeah. And I, I, the scene I grew up in was like the, God, I cringe even calling it this, the quote, true metal scene, <laughs> right? Like the black metal and death metal nerds who think yeah. they're better than everybody else. And if you even remotely remind them of black people, like, you know, cargo shorts, snapback hat or whatever they get real upset right that's so true yeah right and that kind of like sound um especially then when genres are so segmented because people might not remember like you know now it's like oh you got death metal in my death core you got death core in my death metal like it doesn't really matter but like back then you did not mix this stuff like there was really stark differences between each like sort of subset of the scene so when we're starting like mixing this shit in it's like oh there's this random like really heavy beat down breakdown and then like they go into like a Justin Bieber sounding chorus like that was like iconoclast kind of <laughs> just to remind people I'm, I'm always talking about this because I this is one of the gatekeeping moments that sticks in my head mm. people used to call Black Dahlia Murder a deathcore band for right. the simple fact they had colours on their t-shirts mm. and People thought that they were then too fun to be actual death metal. And that was like a whole thing. What kind of hate did you get? Was it support shows? Was it, did you, or did you, was it in write-ups? Like, where did you feel it from? Social media? It was mostly write-ups. Like, social media, um, to this day, it's never been quite as feverish as it was in, like, the early days. Mm -hmm. In, like, a good way. Um, But, yeah, like... I feel like it was mostly like uh, AP reviews hated our stuff. Never. Yeah, right? Never. <laughs> you know, people on YouTube and stuff like that. Basically, like, you know, Finn McKinty, has, he dies on this hill all the time. But he's always like, there's a certain subset of people that you want to hate your band. Yes. Right? All those people hated the shit out of us. <laughs> das, yeah. Okay, yeah, because I remember, because, like, I was doing a lot of interviews with you at AP as well, mm-hmm. with you guys. And so... Yeah, I guess it was that that mix because the videos used to do really well, but I guess I didn't see what was going up in the magazines as much because we didn't have it in the UK. Oh, right. So that's really interesting. And how did you find it? Because there was a time where, and I can say this just, I can speak bluntly with you, which is nice. There was a time where metal became really, really white. Mm-hmm. Like it, it used to have more black faces. Mm-hmm. And then something happened in like the, the 2000s then by 2010, it had gone so white with lots of um, sometimes white people pretending to be black. It was a whole thing. <laughs> so it, it was like it was very confusing and it was OK to do it at that time. Mm. And I remember the only other band was like Oceano and poor Adam used to get so many memes mm. on social about like black metal. Oh, yeah. Very clever. Yeah. How did you find it being a person of color going around to shows and tours and all of that kind of thing? Well, I, I think because everybody experienced it differently, I think with us um, and specifically me and Ty, it was more of a case of being like invisible kind of, 
where right. yeah and you know it, it's part of that is like our singers are at that point singer is plural um you know both from another band that people already kind of know and then also people are kind of used to like just kind of ignoring everybody but the singer it was a very singer focused band like every band would just put out shirts with like their singer's face on it it would do the best that kind of thing um and it didn't help that like ooh, i got a story okay <laughs> so yeah i mean like there was that culture in the industry at large as well as the fans um you know, eventually people started to recognize, especially like people of color in the scene, which I really appreciated. And, you know, it's, it was nice to get recognized and like, I don't know, just, you know, not feel so alone. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, initially, uh, when I first started working with issues, I was a hired gun and were you really mm-hmm. okay i didn't know that yeah. On black diamonds. Um, I recorded all the bass for free and I was like, I was living in Seattle. They recorded in Portland. I was like, let me just drive two hours and do this Mm. shit for free. Just credit me. Um, I ended up not getting credited. Um, Wow. Yeah, I was accredited as, quote, additional instrumentation, which is hilarious. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) To this day, you buy a Black Diamond CD. That's what it says inside. But wait, did you not have a word with your brother? Well, that's the thing. He wasn't even... I mean... It was it was kind of crazy. Like it was initially in the very beginning, it was very much like Tyler Carter had exclusive control over like name, branding, uh, image, whatever. And mm-hmm. like basically, he he had a lot of control over the music, but he trusted uh, Ty, so Scout, a lot with it. But really, the buck stopped with him. Right. So basically, what had happened was I got kind of like pushed out of that scenario in favor of the guy who was in the band from what was me, Corey Ferris, but he ended up not making the cut and they got some other kid. Um, I say some other kid, he's actually really nice, <laughs> but this dude, Jake Vinston to like do a tour. And I was just sort of like, you know, way over here, like, Hey guys, like I'm still here. I'm not, I don't have a gig and I played all these parts. So maybe like hit me up, but, um, he ended up quitting and then Ty really like, yeah, at that point, he's like, if you guys get another person that is not my brother, I'm literally quitting. So then he kind of forced their hand. But um, the whole deal was, and you'll know what I mean by this, uh, I can only join the band if I, quote, cut my hair. You are kidding. And you know exactly what I mean by that. We, I mean, any any person of color, you know, like, going, uh. yeah. It's like a, a whole, like, fucking, you know, racist-coded thing. Yeah. Um, and to me, you know, I was just like... I don't know why I'm the only one in the room who knows this, but like long hair plus rock and roll equals like good, you know? (laughs) So I was just like, yeah, dude, I'll get to it. (laughs) Smart, smart. Yeah. That you were just like, so you just went like, I'll do that at some point. I'll do it next week. Oh, I haven't got clippers. (laughs) And just keep putting it off. That's that's so annoying on so many levels Mm -hmm. because for anyone listening who... um, hasn't been through racism or doesn't have melanin or anything like that the hardest thing is especially when someone's making Mm r&b and you're like hang on this you you, how can you be racist at that point do you know what i mean (laughs) right yeah and you know like i and even then i don't want to give tyler too much credit on that because he definitely was like down with that like i'm not going to give him a pass but it, it was really our manager that he was in cahoots with right he was a scumbag scum bucket um and actually, it's kind of funny because I kind of aired him out a little bit on TikTok recently. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> nice. And he texted me like, bro, I didn't know you felt like that. I'm like, dude, you must be delusional. I blocked him. 
<laughs> Do you know what? That's the thing. I've had that a lot from around that era because people weren't having these conversations about race until Black Lives Matter. And when right. you go into the music industry, people certainly weren't having this conversation because they were kind of backwards anyway. It was like dealing with the 1940s when you're dealing with the music industry. It's like, oh, hey, God. you Brad. Oh, <laughs> them brown people or coloured people. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't... It, it wasn't modern at all in the no. music industry. Yeah, and it, it's funny because it's, on one hand, looked as such a progressive community like rock and roll, like Rebels or whatever. But yeah, I mean, uh, going back to like the Disco Sucks movement, like, mm. I don't know, it's it's always been a thing where uh, people of color will do crazy shit and get noticed and then eventually it becomes like standard in the scene and then you have so many people filling in, like so many white people filling in that sound and a lot of them are doing good work but i kind of blame i honestly blame press more because you know mm-hmm. like rolling stones and stuff they always threw it back to chuck berry same with the beatles and whatever uh, like they they shout out their influences but when rolling stone sorry the magazine um and whoever writes up about this stuff they completely ignore their influences they give mm-hmm. credit to people who like don't even want the credit you know, like bands like the Rolling Stones and the Who and the Beatles deserve a lot of credit, but they're not an island, you know? No. It's not an isolated incident, right? So I think the story just needs a lot of like fixing. And I feel like that story, uh, the sort of narrative of like, oh, this is a white genre, that got so powerful that a lot of people of color just didn't really feel welcome in it, you know? What is it? Because something that made me, it's stuck in my head. I actually haven't repeated this to anybody. But I was talking to my boyfriend recently and I was like, can you imagine going to work every day and knowing that nobody wants you there? Mm. And everything you do, everything you turn up for, <clears throat> every festival, your people talk about this metal community. It isn't as much of a community when you're walking around with brown skin because you cannot hide it. Mm. And so it is there, don't get me wrong, I've had amazing moments and amazing connections. But I was like, but people didn't want me at those tables. And he said, I would have left if I wasn't wanted. And it got me thinking, I was like, why didn't I leave? And that makes me want to ask you that. What made you stick around? Um, I kind of just feel like I'm cursed. Like my brain does this thing. It does the, the music thing a lot any you know any given moments like there's hamsters running around mm. in my brain you know in my head between these ears just dust mites and music right so like i kind of had no choice just based on like my own like existence and what makes my soul move and stuff and i feel like um you know broader discussion of i guess just economics in general i feel like that's why the music industry is so so uh, vulnerable to getting taken advantage of because everybody here wants to be here like too much, you know? One, <laughs> 100%. Right. There are two types of people in this industry and this is what I try to explain to people and I sound really cynical and maybe I just am. I'm like, there is A, the people who are really rich and have rich parents who fund them through everything or there's B, the people who literally would, the Van Goghs of this music industry and it doesn't matter you can't pay your bills you can't do anything but you are turning up every single day mm-hmm. to do it because you have to it's like a compulsion an obsession yeah absolutely and i feel like that's you know it's good and bad it's good because it makes you good art um or makes you make good art 
but it's bad because you know when spotify starts like reducing your pay from nothing to less than nothing and you know just Mm. month after month after month it's like all right i guess i'm still just gonna be doing this like yeah (laughs) do you know what do you didn't you tweet the other day saying that you actually hadn't made money from the band until now um yeah well yeah i mean it's yes and no so obviously there's been every once in a while we'd have money coming in and like it would sustain me but that's kind of it and it wasn't just like you know streaming and stuff and i know a lot of people have horror stories about their label and stuff but really rise was great to us so i don't have a i don't have a label horror story but every other part of the process and every other sort of like uh industry person that we'd worked with at least every position i should say um we got screwed by somebody we got screwed by booking agents we got screwed by business management we got screwed by managers over and over and over again and it really felt like no one just no one cared about us Mm. and now that i'm a little older and i know um more about how this whole thing works i'm realizing oh you just didn't sign me up for that so like that money's gone now just like random shit like that Mm. or like i man the older i get the the more this is obvious where a bad business manager can make you feel poor no matter how much money you're making because you think you can spend money that you don't have or vice versa right yeah you think you don't have money but like it's not available to you because oh we need it for float to pay for like a backdrop on the next tour also we need your royalties to pay these commissions it's like that doesn't make any sense it's like you're not budgeting right and you don't care about me enough you're not thinking about my bills like i am Mm. yeah it's crazy that's interesting because you hear so many bands i mean it reminds me of tlc standing on i think it was a red carpet saying they were broke and they yeah like and they had the biggest album of that time Mm. um so it's really interesting talking to you and thank you for being so honest and so open because i noticed you're very open on tiktok as well um but issues if you weren't around for when issues first came up and you're listening to this right now i cannot explain how much of a, a breath of fresh air it felt like and how exciting it was to see the band you just seemed to go on this amazing trajectory mm. playing these phenomenal shows what would you say are some of the highlights for you mm. man i mean it was all so new and actually this was a, a thing that i really realized during the pandemic but I, I took shit for granted. Like, well, you're young when, you, when you're doing that stuff, right? How can you, it seems so normal. Right, it's like my first band that gets, you know, that has any sort of traction just goes into the stratosphere. First album was number nine on Billboard. And like, we're doing like a world tour, like my first year into touring, I'm like, oh, I guess this is my life, right? Yeah. <laughs> and like, eventually, no, that's not just your life, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you get sobered up real quick when, you know, your, your next album is 20 and then your next album is 200. Or whatever the fuck it was, yeah, right? It ha- and it happens to so many bands yeah, like yeah. that. Yep. Yeah, and for the record, I think the quality just went up. But hey, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. I think the biggest highlight, if I had to, if I had to pick it, honestly, was you know probably the tour I met you on. Like we were on our first like world tour thing. I'd never been overseas anywhere just to like you know just north america right like mexico for a vacation when i was a kid canada because it was like two hours away um but like hitting the uk um where else did we go we did a ton of stuff in southeast asia we did australia and japan all in the same run about like four days after the end of the warp tour something like that wow 
it was fucked up but we it was must have awesome. broken <laughs> yeah I, we were hurting we were hurting <laughs> I can imagine what was the biggest culture shock would you say biggest culture shock man it was all so shocking um, but Taiwan was pretty cool um, it was like it, I don't know it was just pretty gnarly being on like a, a super train I'm like oh you guys live like this this is awesome mm. uh, but really I think the biggest culture shock was Beijing really how um, come well, um, they didn't like us very much. <laughs> really? Were you on yeah. your own? But you were on your own tour, no? Oh, no, not like. I mean, fans were were great, but like the just people on the street like spitting at us, like glaring at us and stuff. And I get the feeling because we've been back to China uh, multiple times. Like mm. Guangzhou was way better. Um, the show was that's a whole long story the show was insane there was a whole drama on like Weibo and stuff I don't know okay. but every time we go to China it's like some kind of shit goes down right but um, also Hong Kong was amazing but it seems like it was just like Beijing they just fucking hated us wow <laughs> I, but they were also like very enamored with us I remember um, and you'll hear hear this about foreigners right going there but we went to the Forbidden City and we were just like standing there just looking at like wow that's a big ass picture of Chairman Mao and you know Tiananmen Square and everything, mm. and somebody comes up. It's like, can I take a picture with you? I'm like, oh, I, wow, a fan. <laughs> and yeah. you know, oh, how naive I was. And <laughs> yeah. they take a picture of us, and someone else comes up. Oh, can I take a picture? I'm like, all right. And probably like two minutes later, we have like a 50 foot long line of people. Wow. And it's they're just you know rapid fire like coming in, taking a selfie or whatever. And I realize, oh wait a second, there's a six foot tall ginger with us. Uh, two uh, twin black dudes with like tattoos and facial piercings mm -hmm. like everybody's tatted like all also we're like you know average a foot taller than the average person it's like we look fucking insane and <laughs> tattoos are like a whole thing as well in China mm -hmm. like you're apparently it's a big deal being out there with tattoos right yeah yeah I mean I that's when I learned it <laughs> yeah oh wow and so you went on that tour everything went really well and mm. you were playing warped you we're really flying this high, mm -hmm. which is, I, I can't imagine what it must have been like for you at that time, because you were one of the biggest bands in the scene, one of the like the hottest bands in the scene at the time, right? Do you think that's weird to look back on and think of it like that? Or did it feel that way at the time? Um, I did, well, like I said, I took completely took it for granted because I'm a fucking mm -hmm. idiot. Um, and looking back on it now, I'm like, oh yeah, it's never felt like that since. We were the new guys, like we everything we put out, people were just rabid for. I remember one time um, on the Issues account, I just kind of had enough. I was like, guys, I promise we're working on more stuff. And our whole fan base like had like kind of an emotional sort of uh, like, I don't know. They just immediately all were apologized. They like felt bad. Oh, we've been expecting so much of you. I'm like, it's it's all right, guys. But like, yeah, there was some some tweet or something that was like, guys, they're, they've been working hard for us. Like, if we just hold on, we'll get it. I'm like, I, I can't. And now, in in my, you know, I'm 33, right now. Looking back on it, just imagining that many people just wanting my artistic output that badly. It's like, yeah. whoa. It's like lightning in a bottle you know it's it's it was a very powerful time and instagram was king mm -hmm. as well at the time um and at that time you had warp tour who would you say were the bands 
that you felt really championed you and mm. were there for you and with you at that time? Because I know there is so much Warped Tour drama that mm. we could do a whole... In fact, we have done a whole episode on Warped Tour drama. Um, I don't think you were there for the whole... We won't go into some of those topics. We just <laughs> won't go into them. Um, but I've spoken about Matty Mullins on the podcast oh, yeah. and some of the people calling him I, out. And <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't have a dog in the race there. That was no. like... It, and actually, you know, this goes kind of into the, the whole scene so white thing where it really felt like, oh, the, the whiteies are fighting. Like, <laughs> But you kind of... You dodged that drama at, at the Warp Tours. Well, I mean, do you know about our song that we like... I mean, I didn't write the lyrics, but... Is this boyfriend? No. Oh, okay. Oh, God. That's a whole thing. I wasn't even remotely in the band. That's the only thing we I never recorded on for the record. I had nothing to do with it. Wash my hands of it. I would love for it to get wiped off the face of the earth, but that's Fearless's job. Do you know job what I'm just going to say? And I don't... I'm not I'm not defending it, um, but I just... All I'm going to say is at the time... It was a different time. Oh, yeah. It was a different... Like, the way music was... And we've done, we've done an episode on misogynistic songs that we love or misogynistic lines and songs it was just a different time for music oh yeah so i don't think anyone should rag on you too hard for that as long as you own it and go okay yeah which the band has yeah people know people know that how we feel about that so i'm not worried about (laughs) it but right uh sad ghosts on our first record yeah was it sad ghosts uh no it was personality cult um was about maddie mullins and him just being i don't know like very uh, uh he believed the hype on warped and i, I didn't know this shit yeah. wow because he said like i'm the voice of a generation every day on warped and everybody kind of like or whatever <laughs> and uh the first line of that song is fuck the voice of the generation it's a whole thing holy sh- we have an episode that focuses <laughs> on how did we we did an episode on scene beef and lyrics uh-huh. and we did we didn't know this one yeah i mean i think and I, again, I don't have a dog in the race here, but I thought it was just like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> Do you know what? This isn't, this isn't to create some beef or whatever. This is just hilarious shit that was totally, going, happening yeah. on Warped. This is what used to happen back in the day. Right. Yeah. It was just, yeah, it was like high school in every sense of the way. When people say yeah. it's like rock and roll summer camp, they mean it. Um, Did he respond? Uh, I think so. I think it was just like a Twitter thing, you know, right. like they were, you know, it was for the kids, really. I mean, if we're being honest, like Tyler loved to stir up drawing. He was very good at it. I mm. envy that skill, to be honest. So, yeah, it was just part of his whole thing or whatever. Um, Who else did you have drama with? Um, I mean, the woe is me thing. That one's Oh, yeah, that was classic. we did talk about that one. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I don't know. Oh, well, I personally had drama with Trey Cyrus. Do you know about that one? No. That one, that one was funny. I mean, I, I don't know. Did it, I live a naive life at this time? How did I miss this? <laughs> so I don't, I'm trying to remember what it was. I think he was dating. He was dating Brenda Song at the time, right? right? And a friend of mine uh, tweeted like a thirst tweet about Brenda Song, like, "Oh my gosh, she's hot" or something. And at this point, I'm like, no one cares about the fucking bass player of this fucking ba- of me like issues, right? So I was just like, yeah, whatever. Careful, or Trace Cyrus will tweet about you. And I guess he searches his name. He didn't like it. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, and I don't know. It escalated into like a really funny argument because he was like really engaged and really taking it seriously, and I like really wasn't. And then I think I ended up. And no offense to anybody selling merch out there, but I knew it. Would, I knew it would get him, but. 
the last tweet that he allowed me to send him before I got blocked um, <laughs> was, uh, you just lost your shot at ever selling merch for us. <laughs> Wow! I'm like I don't know, I don't know this fucking guy. I was just like, oh, this wow. is fun. Like, I guess I'm gonna troll you a little bit, but do you know what I miss? Do you know what I? I don't want to wish back the uh, dysfunction of the scene. <laughs> it was I fun. miss it. <laughs> it was it was fun. It was silly. I don't know. Oh, but you know what? We totally digress. I do want to talk about the bands that championed us. <laughs> no, the bands that championed you. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, th- thinking about that, like. I've looking back, um, the first person who really, really believed in us actually was a booking agent is Dave Shapiro. A lot of people know him cause he's yeah. like, you know, seeing Illuminati, whatever, mm-hmm. but great guy. Um, and when we were wanting to kill each other, we'd always say, yo, just do it for Dave. Just chill out. You know? Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> yeah. I miss that's him. Sweet. I got to hit him up soon. But, um, as far as bands bring me the horizon, really, really like went way out of the way to like support it. No way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like how that whole thing started, it was a warp tour we were all on. And I think Jordan fish definitely. And I think maybe Lee, uh, the right. guitar player, I think so Jordan fish and Lee watched our set when we were on like the Kevin says stage or something. Like um. we were on it for like two weeks and we got a call or we got an email like a week later uh, for like the American dream tour, which is our first, uh, tour with them and that tour went awesome and I, I think actually really the, the people that championed us really was uh, um, well those two Lee and Jordan and then Ollie like really got behind Ty so Scout mm. um, a lot of people might remember maybe not but a lot of people might remember he did the only official remix of Can You Feel My Heart way back in the day yes yes mm. it was like wow. Steppy. <laughs> Nice. And that song, of course, has popped off on TikTok, which is... Do you know what I love about you, though? What are the things I love about you? On on TikTok and here as we're sat here talking, you don't seem to be afraid of, like, these days when I speak to bands, they're so scared of answering any question oh, that yeah. they become so... You just get, everything was fabulous, thank you. Yeah, we sang Kumbaya, and then we went and slept on our tour bus, and it was great. But right. you, you're not like that. You do, you is what do you do that consciously or is it a, have you thought about that? I I just think that's a skill that like the media training thing. I think it's something that has to be taught to you, and just no one ever taught it to me. No one ever told me to shut up. <laughs> do you know what I love it though? Because it makes you more real, and it makes no one believes that everything is perfect. And I think one of the things that you've spoken about is the tensions in the band mm-hmm. that were there from what from what you're saying. It sounds like quite early on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm to this day. Me and Josh are the only people that uh, didn't physically throw hands at Tyler Carter. There's a lot of funny stories about that. <laughs> wow. Do you know what? I'm not gonna ask you about that because I assume that's something. No, it's fine. It's all funny now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, if you're in a band and you're making music that everybody cares about, like you're gonna fist fight your singer. It's just a thing. <laughs> I mean, just be what it be, you know, just passionate people, right? You know, and then especially like if someone, you know, just doesn't, is a habitual line stepper, as we will sh- we'll say, mm. it's just going to happen. And then, you know, a lot of it too, uh, me and Ty are tw- literally twin brothers and mm. brothers fight. So I'm not shy about it. And I think like you listen to the music um, and listen to us talk about the music, especially the Headspace era. 
you know, it, it was kind of no secret that we went in and out of love with each other and in the band and everything. And, you know, we made it out the other side. Thank God for Beautiful Oblivion, mm-hmm. which like is my favorite album we've ever done. And it just took a lot of uh, it took a lot of arguing. It took a lot of friction. And it just is what it is. It's art. You know, people are going to yell. <laughs> That's what people don't talk about enough is like it happens with nearly every band and mm-hmm. people deny it um, and they just don't talk about it. So all of your favorite bands that you're thinking of right now, there is shit going down. It's impossible not to when, especially for yourselves, making it so young mm-hmm. to such um, success and then having the pressure of getting it to the next level. And everyone probably has a different idea of what it's going to take to mm-hmm. get to the next level and bringing that together. Even though you created magic, the process of creating that magic is hell. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think, I I mean, they say all the time, like, good art, like, comes from you not being comfortable, right? Or you Mm -hmm. can't make good art that's that good being really comfortable. And I think people romanticize that a lot. I don't think you should ever make yourself, I don't think you should seek out suffering to make Mm -hmm. good art. But, like, there is, like, a hint of truth to it, you know? And actually, speaking to the pressures of that second album... um, that that's kind of an interesting tie into the bring me the horizon thing there was a time where jordan and ollie wanted to produce our third record wow and that would have been so sick i would have loved for that to happen i i ended up obviously beautiful living i love i wouldn't change a thing but um yeah that would have been you know just just the scene gods you know like i just just imagine what happened (laughs) how come it didn't happen i don't really know i think it was um, and, you know, not to talk about Tyler too much, mm-hmm. but I mean, honestly, the farther I get away from him, the better my life gets mm-hmm. because people started to associate the whole band with like maybe a weird interaction with him or like, I don't know, like he he was just like not a good business owner, not a good like band leader or whatever. And he always like kind of put himself in that position. So he misrepresented us a lot. Like, I think it was I, I can't even speak to specifics because I don't think it was anything that dramatic. But I've just heard pl- from multiple sources in multiple different like environments like, oh, yeah, I was going to work with you guys. But then I decided not to because oh, I didn't like it. Well, I didn't want to work with them. So I'm not sure what it was with them specifically, but I know it boils down to something along those lines. And I can't blame them. I really can't. Like we were not like really functional at that point. Like when they were talking to us about it, I think it would have been a nightmare for them to deal with. And I mean, we were a nightmare for us to deal with. I tell people all the time when they start working with issues and I have our whole career at some point issues will break your heart. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know how bad, but at some point. That's so sad. Do you still feel that way now? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not necessarily because we, I like it. We care, you know, mm. we don't want to like put anybody through anything, especially that we're working with. But when you have people for, you know, this different with this different musical tastes, um, and this high pressure that we like really honestly just put on ourselves, then I don't know, this shit's gonna happen, I guess. Like, ah, like uh, if I had a nickel for every time we got really far down the line on something, a lot of people worked really hard on, really believed in, and we felt like we had to pull the plug because of just the nature of our band or somebody in our, you know, we're a democracy and like, we all see how like democracies can flail into things that make sense and don't make sense, right? So yeah, I don't know. That, again, just is what it is. Like, our band is just very chaotic. One of the things that I think of when I think of issues is that success and the amazing time you have. But when I I see you all up there and seeing you succeed is so beautiful because 
When you said then about how Tyler brought a lot of negativity mm-hmm. towards the band in many ways, and we're not going to talk too much about that because it's um, a very difficult subject, but I was just curious to know how you were all left feeling because I think something people don't understand or I hope they're understanding more is you can have one person in a band who's doing something and nobody else in the band will know mm-hmm. like you you can you sit in different seats on the plane you get to a country you go off and do your own thing you come and do your show on stage you're not doing everything together mm-hmm. and so it, you can live very separate lives even though you're in the same band Right. Yeah. And especially us, like I, for a lot of that early history was living in Seattle and then the Midwest. Mm. Um, our guitar player, AJ was in California. Uh, Josh and Tyler definitely had the most contentious relationship in the band. And even though they lived probably an hour from each other, they never saw each other. Mm. So we really lived very, very separate lives. And so when all that stuff went down, um, I mean, we were just blindsided, honestly. I mean, truthfully, you know, it's like, it's never like, I don't know, after the fact, you start putting the pieces together, right? Mm. But it's just like, you're, I don't know, your brain just doesn't go there. Like, I'm not going to like expect like dark shit to be happening under my nose at all times. So until it becomes like incredibly obvious, right? It's just going to like be a fucking shock, which mm. it was. And I think really how it affected us, it was just kind of a crazy one-two punch because the pandemic happened. And six months later, it's like, okay, yeah, we're in, you know, all of, now we're talking to our fans, not about like the tour that we just like got, you know, got pandemic or whatever. Now it's about like firing our singer and the future is like really uncertain, especially because it's like, especially near the beginning of the band, our identity was so tied to him. Mm. So it's like, now what, you know? And I was definitely in a really dark place. Like, just, I I drank a lot of NyQuil. Like, <laughs> I could not get to sleep, right? Mm. Um, and I really didn't, you know, like I said, like, my brain does this. I, w- I never would have stopped. But it helps that, like, three weeks later, 21 Pilots called me. Mm. Just out of literally a cold call. It was insane. Was, so this is the topic I was going to go to next. Mm. So you're in the deepest darkest place because the thing that you've built from the ground everything has just been just absolutely trampled in many ways um i can't imagine the pain the the questions the anger the like levels of feelings you must have been feeling totally so i feel for everybody in the band yeah and i i feel like a big part of these shows these like final shows is to remedy that because over the years you know like like we started, I've gotten to know a lot of these people that come to these shows. And I think the biggest takeaway, especially doing these shows and having started like putting out my own solo music that is like completely fresh, I'm seeing the end of a new thing, uh, end of an, uh, of an older thing, beginning of a new thing, and I'm seeing the difference, right? The end of issues is 12 years of life having been lived to these albums. It's like right. people going, oh, I got married to this song, or we, I did a road trip to this song, or like this record was a soundtrack to like the, my my breakup or whatever, mm. right? Like that's what makes a career. It's not a number on Spotify, it's not a view count. Um, it's like human beings really like experiencing life to this song or that song. On Veep, so we inter- interviewed a woman who you helped her get through prison 
and she could only listen to 30 second snippets. Oh, I met her. Did you? That's what she was saying. Because I got, like, she told somebody next to me, I was like, wait, did she say 30 seconds? Yeah. <laughs> like, so she was in prison. So she could only listen to these 30 second sections, but she became so obsessed. And then the first thing she did when she got out of prison was come and see you in 2016. That's so cool. Mm. And speaking of which, right? Like that experience, like you can't replicate that with like an ad campaign. Like, <laughs> no, and you can't, like, this is the thing. There's very few people whose music resonates so hard mm. with so many people to that depth and that level. And it was something really magical that you managed to achieve. Yeah, I'm I'm very grateful for the people that like engage with our music that much because you know I'm I'm very like aloof with that kind of stuff. I like oh I just play bass, but then like you put it out into the real world. Like I don't just play bass. Like I'm creating sort of a template for people to feel something, which is kind of an insane thing to think about. Um, and that's you know again really why we did the we wanted these final shows to happen mm-hmm. is to contextualize all those experiences. Like especially because we were so tied to our singer. I need people to understand that this music is more than just like one of the countless people involved in putting out a record, mm. right? Like there's obviously the musicians on the record, but there's so many other people involved from like the start to finish. Um, and by the time it gets to the person consuming it and the person listening to it, like that's the most real version of the art there is mm. more so than like what this, you know, what kind of shit this dude was doing in the dark, you know? Mm. So when people, you know, show like yesterday saw so many never lose your flames tattoos, so many like, you know, the logo tattoos and stuff. And it's like, that's not about anything other than their lived experience and the music's interaction with it, at least to me. And 100%. I, yeah, and I feel like that was like the main core message of doing all these. And so then, okay, so you're in this really dark place. You're in this depression. Mm-hmm. This is like, this is, I don't, I'm not a religious person, but I see it as the hand of God. Mm-hmm. Like literally reaching out. Because that's what we all pray for when we're in the darkest place. You just want that hand to reach out and grab you. And it's like, you are now getting a call from probably the biggest band in the world at that time. Like right. <laughs> they're up there with the Metallicas and the, like all of a sudden this band are playing huge shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was a joke. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yeah. I thought it was fake. Like, you know, AI started to get better. I'm like, nah. Um, but yeah, their manager called me and I Googled it. I was like, who is this guy? And I found an interview that he did. I was like, that sounds like the guy. Um, and then my brain went to like, oh, he probably signed some like new band. He wants me to like maybe produce them or like just play bass on like an EP or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, he came with the, the, he came in heavy, like, hey, like we need a bass player. You want to do it? I'm like, I'm, I can be free. <laughs> I'll clear my schedule in, in, in 2020 or whatever it was. <laughs> wow. That, that, how did you feel in that moment? Cause that is huge. Mm. Man, I got to find it. My, I was actually doing a Zoom session uh, with a friend, Jakuti Hodge. He's a, a really sick artist. Um, but uh, he, so I had told him, like, I think I'm about to get a crazy call. And he, he like, screen recorded it. So he has a screen recording of me, like, getting the news. <laughs> like, you need to find that. That's I huge. Know. I need to hit him up. I need to hit him up. But um, 
shout out to Cootie. He's a homie. Um, he's a crazy story too. He actually, that session was one of the last times like we made music together before he had an insane motorcycle accident. So now he's in a wheelchair, but he's still oh making gosh. music. It's crazy wow. shit. And he was Logic's drummer, like insane drummer. Wow. So anyway, you know, not to digress. I just really fuck with that fool. But um, so all of a sudden you have now got this call from 21 Pilots. Yeah. Tell me about the first time you went out on stage with 21 Pilots. You know, <laughs> you know, what's funny is like we did so much shit that was not an actual show first. Did you? Oh, OK. Yeah. It was like the live stream. And then we did like a couple awards shows and I mean, it was just like like thing after thing after thing. It's like, are there do people like like this band? Like, are we gonna play in front of human beings eventually? Mm. But and then even then, we it was the takeover tour, so um, it started at a small venue, then got slightly bigger, slightly bigger, slightly bigger. So the first show I played with them was actually Newport Music Hall in um, Columbus, I think, and it was like fifteen hundred people, which was sick. So that's a huge underplay for them even at that time, no? Yeah, big time. So it was just funny because we were like, oh, yeah, finally play with one of the biggest bands in the world. And it's like a show that like we probably played there with with issues a few times. Um, But I mean, either way, it was sick being a part of it. And actually, uh, the funny thing is Tyler Joseph. Also, have you put this together? Issues, Tyler, singer, Josh Drummer. 21 Pilots, Tyler Singer, Josh Trummer. Yes, I hadn't. And but... then even better, so Scout, Lofile, right? First oh. name, Tyler, middle name, Joseph. Wow. You said you were not religious? <laughs> wow, that's a good point. Isn't that you crazy? Are, you are destined to be... <laughs> wow. Yeah. Or, yeah, or the universe is just putting doing some shit. But anyways, so... Yeah, but he uh, said after that show, he's like, hey, like, you guys did great, but um, we're hiring you for a reason. Like, come mess with me. Like, get, like, closer. Like, like put it, like, basically, he put it, he put it this way. He said, I would much rather have to tell you to chill out than ask you to give me more. So I'm like, oh, so you want me to do the issues thing? So by the time we were playing in arena, I was like, okay, I'm, like, going to just sprint. <laughs> That's awesome that is like the dream that you want someone to bring so they're not like coming at you with some metallica fucking you guy thing they're like giving you free reign 100 percent, yeah and like god like uh asking us opinions on like transitions and like songs to play i'm like that i mean i think it makes a lot of sense knowing about them now because they came from like they weren't always just two guys they were like a full band Mm. And just everybody kind of quit on them until it was just them left. And they were like, you want to stop? Like, no, me neither, you know. So that's their background. They want, like, collaborators. They like, you know, bouncing stuff off of people. And you can see in their vlogs. Their vlogs have actually been really influential to me in doing these last shows. It's like, let's get, like, the nitty-gritty and, like, the actual process. Because mm. people really don't see, they don't get to see, like, the process and, like, mindset of the people that are really killing it. Mm. And that's actually the biggest thing I learned um, just from working with them is just mindset stuff. Like, obviously, you know, it's like getting to that bit. Get it, even if you're a good musician, getting that big is like uh, preparation meets opportunity. Like mm-hmm. luck is hell. Right. But obviously they're writing good shit. So they were ready for it. Um, but at that level to maintain yourself, you have to be a leader. Mm-hmm. And I literally had no examples of that in my life. Um, 
I, I don't mean that. My dad's awesome. But I mean, like, in music, you know? Music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, like, I had no examples of that in a business setting. Mm-hmm. So watching him kind of, like, handle all these department heads and really deal with uh, contingency plans when things go wrong. That's There's this vlog I always talk about in Paraguay where we lost power. And the vlo- in the vlog, you can hear the talk back. He's talking to the department heads, coordinating when they're turning the lights on, what they're going to say to the crowd. Like okay, start the tracks in three, two, one, and then we're going to walk out, you know, stuff like that. Like uh, that was really inspiring. And then also the respect that he gives everybody he's working with to contribute what he's hiring them to contribute. That comes with time as well, doesn't it? Like there is a thing about respect that you start to realize that you need everybody around you. And yes, you might be, you, the show can't happen without you, but it also can't happen without everybody else as well. Mm. So keep everybody on side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um. So you have done those shows now. Looking forward, what would you say you are proudest of achieving, and what would you still like to achieve? Mm-hmm. Like all-encompassing. Mm. I think the thing I'm probably most proud of doing. So two things. I should probably say two things. There's really two phases. Um, with 21 Pilots, it's playing Climate Pledge Arena, so my home arena in Seattle, mm. which is key arena to the to the real ones who've been around for a while. Because, um, God, my mom used to sing the national anthem for the Sonics all the time. So I was, like, backstage all the time as, like, a fighter. Wow. Yeah, so I, I was just, like, you know, I went back there. I'm, like, I recognize this. Like, yeah. this is weird. That was crazy. First time I cried on stage, for sure. Um, and then with Issues... Uh, really, I feel like it's the whole thing. Like it's the culmination of like the last 12 years, like the hardest part, any, any artist will tell you this, the hardest part is getting people to care Mm. and having a culture of, I guess, support and like inclusivity in like the scene that wasn't really about that, Mm. like for this long, you know, writing, uh, a a song about police brutality in like 2015, 2016. Like mm-hmm. I'm proud of that shit. Like we just did a lot of, we were just really honest with um, the people enjoying our music, you know, mm. I'm proud of that. That's really beautiful. I sometimes, do you know what? I sometimes, um, how do I put this? Sometimes when I see the scene championing people of color, and I'm no longer in my 20s in that phase where people are going through sometimes I can feel um I don't want to say it's jealousy it's like a grief for the younger me that didn't have that support and who spent a whole time being very alone and very lost as to and not being able to make friends all these different things Mm -hmm. and all these different traumas that end up and I do call them traumas because it was really hard and I don't know if you identify that with that at all. That's, I mean, yeah, that just hit, that just hit me. That's some like real shit. I, I mean, just thinking about that, now, it's a really FOMO, you know. It, that's it. That you, that's a FOMO for like, oh man, I want to be twenty again, doing this that you're doing. Um, and so that's why I love that you have started your solo music. You're doing what you want to do, mm-hmm. and you are not afraid to keep growing as an artist, which is so exciting and. Yeah, does it does it feel exciting of what can still come? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I I think like, I mean, 
maybe I'm delusional, but I have like some crazy hopes and dreams I still hope to achieve. And like, I feel like I'm, uh, I feel like I just did rage and now I'm in my audio slave era. You know what I mean? <laughs> I get that 100%. Right. And, and with my solo stuff, like it took me a long time to really trust my own vision and my own voice. Mm. But now that I do, I just can't stop doing, I can't stop thinking about it. I'm writing songs on the plane. Um, I don't know. It's just really like encouraging to have the ability to, or it's really liberating, I guess, and empowering to have the ability to just like, oh, I have a night off. Let me just write a song mm. and then I can create something um, without any sort of like roadblocks in my way. And I love issues, but part of the reason we sound like the whole reason we sound the way um, that we do is checks and balances, right? Mm. <laughs> like, oh, like AJ, like could, thinks this this rhythm could be cooler, or like uh, me going, oh, let's like you know work on the chorus. I know you like it, but like maybe work on this melody, you know, whatever. Like, mm. there's so much like um, kind of second guessing and stuff, which can be good, but can also be bad, especially if it comes from a place of insecurity, which honestly it often does. Um, but for me, like now in this time of my life I'm so confident I'm so like secure in like what I want to create and really it's backed by like 12 years of like engaging with fans of the music that I'm making I'm like okay like I can make something that someone's gonna like and I feel validated I can self-validate whatever but I just have high high hopes high mm -hmm. hopes for it and I know I'm just starting but I feel like I'm fucking like killing it on my songwriting i can't wait to put more shit out i have so much stuff <laughs> i love that and i think this episode um we call it bringing you your flowers and i i couldn't find a flower shop because i can't navigate atlanta so <laughs> i'm just gonna, i'm going to give you like ethereal flowers i think the reason we wanted to have you on this podcast and there's so many guys in the band right but we really wanted to celebrate you because I think your whole story from the music you made with issues to standing on stage confidently with your hair. I know we've touched on that, mm. but that was something that was so powerful. I know I can speak for me as an individual, but I saw that room last night and I saw so many people. And I know that was a big part of your presence of when we talk about the community, your very presence helped create that community mm. and that's what you did with issues that's what you did when you stood on stage you managed to in many ways as an underdog in some ways as somebody of color in the scene then you're touring with 21 pilots you've right. done achieved <laughs> so much with issues and so we just wanted to celebrate you and celebrate your career because you have had such an exciting career that we've all followed and we just pray that more amazing things come your way. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. And really, like, I got to say, because like I said, I took a lot of shit for granted, right? Um, I didn't really put together how instrumental you were in the beginnings of our career. And I really thank you for that. Do you know, I think he was, this is getting like, thank you. It was so <laughs> nice seeing you in the scene because... You were one of, I mean, we had Howard Jones, mm -hmm. maybe that I'd seen on stage with Killswitch. I had, I hadn't, who, I mean, let live. Right. Kind of. I mean, all of us really, like us being people of color in the alternative music, you have like a list in your head, right? It's like, oh yeah, I'll go see POS at Warped Tour, even though I don't really like his music because I'm going to support the, the brother, you know, or the bots or somebody. Um, and now, you know, like 
God, I'm so happy for Meet Me at the Altar. I see their videos of like the crowd. I'm like, this looks like a Crayola box. It's insane. It's amazing, isn't it? And they're just absolutely smashing it. And I want to see more people um, succeed. But I also want to pay homage to the people who did it when it wasn't cool. Right. <laughs> so like, like horror. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. Like horror have been... Make oh, amazing yeah. music. Yeah, HO9909. Like that. HO9909, yeah. No, yeah. I, I, you definitely yeah. horror is right. I just never hear people actually say it out loud. But yeah, <laughs> I love that band, yes. There's, and there's so many people who've been doing it and so many artists who just need to be paid their flowers because at the end of the day, I, I, I was at the Martin Luther King, and this I'm dragging out this outro, but there's two more things I want to add. I was at the Martin Luther King um, Memorial today and I saw this piece and it was about how Rosa Parks sat so that Martin Luther King could, I'm probably mis- I'm getting this wrong, <laughs> so that, that he could walk so that Obama could run. And it was like this whole, this whole chain. And I feel like we've had artists throughout the years, but there are certain people who kept it going in that scene when people of color were not around mm. so that the people of color today, like you stood on that stage with your big hair, so that the Nova Twins mm. could have their hair out and natural, and that is a that is Boy, a big they have deal. Cool hair. <laughs> they have such cool hair. I, I think I cut mine off just because I was like, I can't even, <laughs> I can't even compete. But just to finish on hair, I met somebody yesterday who said they were the person that gave you hair products. Oh yeah, I I talked to them yesterday too. Yeah, that I like didn't really know how to take care of my hair, and I think they took pity on me. <laughs> that's so sweet so she brought you like hair products to look after your hair and get your curls popping oh yeah and then i don't know it just sort of like started my hair care journey because i was i was too rock and roll for it i didn't do anything you know just like whatever whatever kind of day i was having is what my hair looked like <laughs> nice so now you've got those nice curls going mm-hmm. um Thank you so much for chatting to us. This has actually been way longer than expected. I'm really sorry, but you just have... I could sit here all day. I feel like you should write a book. <laughs> like, Tea with Sky. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, I got a lot of shit to say. <laughs> if you've got anything you want to say at the end now, anything that I've left out or should have asked you about, feel free to add it. I don't know. I, I don't want to get myself started. Uh, <laughs> beyond... Okay, yeah. I just... Uh, one thing I do want to say is just, like, thanks to the fans for the last 12 years of mm-hmm. issues and um none of us are done and we're just like we're changing phases right changing states mm-hmm. but I'm, i don't know like watch this space who knows what we're gonna get up to like we have so much shit to do so <laughs> as issues uh no not as issues i don't know as what i as mean individuals as you know i'll just do it for him so i'm gonna soft launch aj's solo project for the record right so like i i he hasn't decided on a name yet but like aj's sitting on like really awesome stuff that um is his output that me and josh is supposed to play on for example josh is working on a couple things that like are really cool probably a little too early i don't want to out him yet mm. um and then obviously my solo project and then me and ty scout um are working on a death metal project called no trace just like random shit there's so much stuff i'm producing bands you know working with a home team a bunch also shout out brian for being an amazing vocalist came in so prepared but like all of our i don't know all of our years um for the next year are just so filled with just making music with friends and i'm so thankful and if anybody's curious as to what we're up to it might take a little more work to keep track because genuinely our fingers are in so much different stuff Mm. but like if anything our output is like gonna speed up so 
Yeah. So watch this space. Watch this space. What a, a lovely guy. I am. I'm shook. I'm shook. He 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 did not. He hold didn't back. hold back. He, he did not hold, hold back. back. But he's also such a lovely guy. Like he's so wholesome that I'm like, you you're spilling tea and then being so cute and nice. Like I can't. I ah. I love him. I just want him to do well in life and things to go amazing for him. So if you want to find out um, more, see any clips from that interview, head over to our social media pages where we put up clips of stuff like that. But otherwise, that's it for this week. You can also go to NotFest's YouTube channel and see the full Ooh. interview. <gasps> um, Try yeah, you yourself. Can, you can follow us at We Wear Black Pod and watch our videos um, or you can email us, wewearblackpod at gmail.com. I'm at X on everything. And I am at I am Sophie K on everything. Bye. You were listening to On Wednesdays We Wear Black. Please rate and subscribe so that we can keep doing what we do. Special thanks goes out to the Nova Twins for the badass music and Wargasm for the killer screams. See you next week.